Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Uh, good morning. Uh, I feel a bit strange today because I'm not actually, I don't feel like I'm preaching because I'm not actually going from a biblical text. Um, I will look at one verse right at the end, however. A bit of context for me. So I was never raised in what you would call a traditional Christian home. Uh, so never attended church. Um, I do, however, just swap hands here. I do, however, come from a Maori tribe in the north of New Zealand, the Napui tribe, and we are, as Maoris, a spiritual people, but not religious in the sense of belonging to an institutional religion of any sort. So as a boy, young boy growing up, I kind of knew there was some kind of spiritual dimension or world there. It was always usually spoken in the negative, um, but never went to church, never heard much about Christianity. Christmas was about as many presents as you could get. It still is, I think. Um, And so when I came over to Australia, I met a friend who invited me to church. It's the first time I've ever stepped foot in a church. I was uh, 18 at the time. So I went to this church and I sat there for about 18 months just listening, not making any decisions, just listening uh, to the, the, the sermons every week. I started attending the youth group. Uh, that was quite difficult. I was accepted by some, but not by others uh, in the youth group. There were a couple who wanted to fight me a few nights at youth group, uh, being the outsider. Um, I sat there for about 18 months before I became a Christian, just listening to the gospel and asking the question, does it make sense? Does it help me to make sense of myself? Does it make sense of the world? And after I became a Christian, I felt the call to um, study more. And so I ended up at Bible college, not for the purpose of being a pastor, but rather to just delve deeper into uh, Christianity and who Jesus was and is. Two questions, however, troubled me after I became a Christian and two questions I really had to work through. The first question was, um, I'd become a Christian, but I'd not really been Um, I've not really investigated any other religions. So I had to ask myself, why choose Jesus above other religions, Christianity above other religions? Uh, Was it just that I had a friend who happened to be a Christian? Would it be different if my friend was a Hindu and invited me along to say a Hindu temple or something? Would that be different? So I had to look at other religions and what they said And what I did was look at the origin of religions and the people who started those religions. And I found in comparison to Christianity, uh, Jesus was very unique. The other thing I guess that convinced me of uh, Christianity being uh, the the, the one that I, I, I committed myself to really was the argument around the literal resurrection of Christ, which I'm going to speak about in a few weeks. And they convinced me or gave me, I think, a good answer for that particular question. The other question I had was far more difficult. It was, uh, if you take away religious texts, 
e.g. the Bible, were there any good arguments out there that argue for the existence of a God apart from a religious context? So looking at arguments without using the Bible as the, you know, the convincing text. Because I found a lot of my friends who, who weren't Christians that I spoke to, uh, well, obviously they didn't accept the Bible. To them, it was just another book. For many, it was a good historical text, but it's not divine in the sense of coming from God. So it doesn't come with a sense of authority that I would accept the Bible as. And so I thought, I'm going to look into some other arguments without using the Bible or any other religious text and see uh, what people say. And so one of the arguments I came across, which has been, you know, an argument in existence for, for, for centuries, uh, is what we call the cosmological argument. By the way, I think Pastor Troy hit the two other big ones. The moral argument is a great moral is a great argument, I think, for the existence of God. I cannot bring myself to accept that concepts like justice and kindness and grace have come out of a purely Darwinian evolutionary process. I cannot, I've struggled, but I think the origin of morals must be something outside of ourselves. So I think that's a great argument. The other argument about religious experience, I think is great too. Often we say religious experience is subjective and therefore it is not worthy in terms of facts or truth, but it is. Why is an experience just as important as any kind of other uh, ways that we, we learn about life and learn truth? Religious experience is very important and should be considered. This one, however, is called the cosmological argument. And what this does is it looks at the possibility of there being a God explained only through current scientific understanding and logic or reason, all right? And it begins with an observation of the world around us combined with uh, the way we, we think about the world, the way logic and the way reason works. So I want to look at this argument today. So it's a bit like a presentation rather than a sermon. And I thought I'd put this fellow up. Now, this guy... Leibniz, I think his name is. Now, do we have any maths teachers here? Well, you got to stand up. I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> now, although this argument goes back prior to this fellow with the groovy hair, he, um, he is, is, is kind of the, the, the name that comes up if you, you Google cosmological argument. His name comes up all the time. And he's famous for what? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> he is a mathematician. Do you know what his... Special, what his uh, contribution to current mathematics? Or am I getting you to think back to? to you are exact. You're right. Yes, calculus. Well done. You can teach maths. So, the, so this fellow has contributed significantly to maths. And the reason why I put it up is because often people of faith are called, un, you know, are called, uh, well, they're, they're called not very smart or they're unintellectual. In fact, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, the so-called uh, contemporary atheists who have written a number of books to disprove the existence of God, they actually refer to themselves as the brights, which means anyone who has a different 
opinion to them is obviously not very bright, which is just an absolute falsity. I mean, Richard Dawkins' office in Oxford is literally across the office from mathematicians, uh, intellectual historians, with triple doctorates who happen to be Christian believers. So this idea that to be a person of faith means you don't think or you're unintellectual is just wrong. And this fellow is an example of that. Uh, a mathematician, a philosopher, a polymath means he's an expert across a number of areas. And he is the person that we go back to really to look at this particular argument. And the claim is simply this. It's reasonable to believe that the cause for the universe, and it's a cosmos, everything that exists, is an intelligent, powerful, spiritual, that is a non-physical, personal being, e.g. a mind or a god. Some people refer to this, uh, this entity as a cosmic mind. Some philosophers use that term. So I'm going to go through this claim and see if it's actually a good claim. Now, to have a good argument, you must obey the rules of logic, where you have true premises that lead to a conclusion, are connected to a conclusion. All right, so I do a little bit of this in high school because philosophy and reason is now a subject we teach in high school. So part of that subject is looking at logic and reason. I'm bringing it into ACC next year, beginning in grade 10, much to the disappointment of the current 11s. But we're bringing it in as a subject. It is a general subject. It's up there with physics, chemistry, math, you know, all the very difficult subjects because philosophy is difficult. But William Craig Lane, who is an excellent theologian and an analytical, analytical philosopher, which means he actually has done his PhD on logic and reason, uh, says not many people like to debate him either because he's so thorough in his thinking. Um, he says you've got to have these true premises which lead to or are connected to a conclusion. So this is what an argument structure is. You have premises the reasons why the following conclusion is true. Then you have your conclusion. So the premises or premise leads to the conclusion. The way to disprove an argument is to attack the premises. If you can prove the premises are wrong, then you can prove the argument is wrong. Or the other way of disproving an argument is to look at the premises and try and f disconnect the premises from the conclusion. That's another way of disproving that an argument is actually wrong, or saying that an argument is wrong. This is considered to be, this argument, a deductive valid argument. Um, and so many people have tried to, you know, try and disprove this argument by attacking the premises, all right, or the connection to the conclusion. So let's see if the premises of this argument are actually true. So premise one basically says this, everything that has a beginning has a cause to it. Premise two, the cosmos or universe has a beginning. The conclusion, therefore, something outside of the cosmos, that is, outside of time, matter and space, is powerful enough and intelligent enough to bring this cosmos that we see around us into existence. That's the argument, all right? That's the argument. So let's look at the premises. 
What I want to do first, though, is show you a quick video which explains, perhaps better than I can, this actual argument. Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin, or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy, and that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, 
timeless, immaterial, uncaused and unimaginably powerful, much like God. The cosmological argument shows that in fact it is that God does exist. That's it. Head back to that PowerPoint. So you can see why the you can see why that this this theory is based on current scientific understanding, particularly since the 50s, but also on logic, because it goes it says things don't pop into existence by themselves; they must have a cause to it. So logically, the universe can't just spring into existence. Science has shown that the universe has shown the universe does have any doesn't have an eternal past, so it therefore has a beginning. Cause and effect we see all around us. There are some examples of cause and effect. That was the premise one. At some point, there has to be a first cause to everything. There is no because some people ask the question: is, Couldn't there just be an infinite regression of causes? But no. There, there has to stop at some point, particularly if there's a beginning. There has to be a cause to it. And the cause is uncaused, e.g. an eternal being. Now, there are some other evidence for the universe in terms of its beginning that were mentioned in the video, but there are some other ones as well. There are four. I'm not a scientist, so speak to the scientists among us if you want to question those. We do have a few. So it essentially says this theory, and it uses the idea of the Big Bang, not the Big Bang theory of the show, but the Big Bang theory in terms of science. So it says everything that we know has a point and a beginning. So what is the cause? If the science is correct and the universe had a beginning, what caused the universe? Whatever it is must have these features. It must be immaterial as in a spiritual being. It must be intelligent as in have a mind to create this cosmos that we are in. It must be incredibly powerful to bring everything into existence. The laws which govern this universe speak also about intelligence, and it needs to be un eternal and uncaused. Many of these characteristics or attributes theologians use to describe God. An eternal, all-powerful, omniscient, immaterial God. And so it's quite reasonable, without even using the Bible, it's quite reasonable to believe that the cause for the universe is something like a cosmic mind or God. Some people call this higher power God. Now, there are some limitations to this particular argument that I want to quickly look at. But firstly, the verse. I promised I would bring a verse in. In the beginning, God. And I think what the scripture is saying is the cause, right at the beginning, was the pre-existent God. 
Potential issues with this cosmological argument is for us as Christians, it doesn't go far enough. So it, must, it, it points to the possibility of God uh, existing, but it doesn't um, go into any specific, specific information or particular direction about which God it's talking about. So going from a cosmological argument to Jesus Christ, there are a few more steps than just jumping. Though it does point to a God, no God in particular. Uh, there could be a change... Science may come up with some other origin to explain the cause of the universe. Uh, for example, the multiverse hypothesis eventually could offer other explanations, but currently it doesn't. Some critics argue that just because every part of the universe has a cause doesn't necessarily mean the universe as a whole or a cosmos also must have a cause, I guess. Uh, the other sciences are based on empirical observable approach. There is no direct science evidence that proves that God was involved in the creation of the world. However, by the same token, there's no scientific material evidence that proves that Darwinian processes just magically started on their own as well. No one was there to conduct a scientific experiment on what could be observed right at the beginning. So there are some limitations to this argument. So what we're saying is I think part of this really is the natural revelation of God to all people. Paul often talks about this in Romans chapter 1 and 2. He says God's indivisible qualities are seen in creation if you look, but it only takes you so far. We need the special revelation of God to come to us in person to reveal to us personally who this God is. And my belief or my faith is in the person of Jesus Christ being the one who has come from this big picture of our cosmic creator to a God in our form to us to explain and to reveal what God is like. And ultimately, he is a God of love. I'll finish there. I might go, go on forever.